When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about feeling confident in your choices as a parent. Right now, as a parent in 2024, there is so much information everywhere, and you may feel conflicted about where do you get your information, how do you trust your information, and then just in general, overload of information and decision fatigue. So I'm talking with Sharon Maisel. She's an internationally recognized parenting and pregnancy expert, an author, a journalist, a speaker, a parenting coach, and she's a mom of four. She has a book, Bite Size Parenting, Your Baby's First Year, and she was previously working with What to Expect, the book series. Sharon and I jump into this conversation about how can we feel grounded in our choices and confident? Where do we get information? How can we lower that sense of overwhelm? Then we switch gears and we start looking at myths about baby's first year, milestones, the pressure we put on ourselves. Should we be putting that pressure on ourselves as parents? And in general, how you make choices that's right for you. I'm really, really excited for you to hear this conversation. As we were talking, there's so much I reflected on about conversations I had with my own mother, conversations I have with my husband, and our way of choosing how to parent our kids. I think you're going to get a lot out of this about individually what serves you best and your family best. Now, before we get to my conversation with Sharon, just an update about what's happening at Prenatal Yoga Center. So lots happening. We have completed our on, well, I say completed, but I'll probably add to it. Our on-demand library now has a full selection of the workshops that we have in person with a matching workshop online. I was hearing feedback from a lot of podcast listeners that they were excited about what I was offering, but they don't live in New York City. And so they felt excluded from the offerings. So that's not what we wanted. So now we have an on-demand library that is going to match what we offer in studio. We still have our classes online seven days a week, and it's fantastic when people tune in from all over the world. And then sometimes they tune in from just a few blocks away because they don't want to leave the house. I get it. So we have classes online every day. We have classes in studio six days a week and lots of good things happening there. And then the last thing I want to talk about is our teacher training. So we're finishing up kind of this season of teacher training. I think in the mindset of the school year, because I have school-age kids, and so we're finishing off kind of the school year of teacher trainings we're doing in studio, which is fun to do in person, March and April. That's our prenatal training. And then we have an online postnatal yoga teacher training. We only offer it once a year, and we dive deep into supporting the postpartum body. We talk about diastasis, pelvic floor, supporting with strength, dealing with strains of being a new parent, and of course, 
we look at the emotional aspect. So I bring someone in from the motherhood center to talk about that because they're experts in that. That's not my field. So we bring experts in for that. So if any of this resonates with you, check out our website, prenatalyogacenter.com for all this wonderful information. And then just two more things. If you're a listener and you think you'd be a good guest, I would love for you to fill out the application. And I want to know what your story is, either your birth story or you have um, an expert idea on something and you want to share your expert point of view, fill out the application. I really want to support the community and I want to get to know our community of listeners. And then the last thing is if you have a moment or when you have a moment, I would really appreciate if you can go to wherever you listen to our podcast from and leave a rating and review. It helps people find us. In fact, if you want, you can pause right now and go do that and then listen to my conversation with Sharon. All right, we're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Sharon Mazel. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, Sharon. How are you? I am well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Oh, I am too. As I was looking through your book, as we talked before we hit record, I was devouring it. It became like a book report with like my little notes in the book. So I think it's a really exciting conversation we're going to have. But before we get to that, I would love for you just to share a little bit about yourself and what drew you to working with the perinatal community. So I am a parenting and pregnancy expert, and not just because I have four kids of my own, but because I've been doing this for 25 years. So um, a lot of time spent in this field and in the um, and in this topic, which I love. I love working with new and expectant parents. Um, I started my career actually as a journalist, as a television journalist, and when my first um, child was born, I left the world of television journalism, moved on to print journalism, and also. Um, started working with, uh, spent 21 years working with the What to Expect When You're Expecting book series and website. Um, I have my own new book now called Bite Size Parenting. I'm a parenting coach. I have hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. Um, I love interacting with parents. I um, offer courses and e-guides. And um, I, I really love spending time with parents, new parents, expectant parents, because this is such a wonderful time, but also a vulnerable time. Mm -hmm. And my mission really is to impart the information and the strategies that parents want, that parents need in very digestible formats. Um, I I feel that when parents have the knowledge and the know-how of of what they should be looking forward to, what they need to understand, answers to the questions that they're inevitably going to have, Once they have that know-how, that knowledge, then they can feel empowered to make the choices that make sense for them Mm. um, as parents. And when they feel empowered and when they feel good about the choices that they make, they also feel confident in what um, they're doing. And so that's what I am here to offer parents. That's what Bite Size Parenting really is all about and everything that I do um, in in this space. And I'm thrilled to be able to do it for so many years and to continue to do it. 
for many yeah. more years to come. Wow. I did not realize all that. First of all, four kids. That's amazing. I can barely <laughs> handle my two. Um, and it sounds like you just have gathered so much knowledge throughout the year. That sounds uh, years. It sounds amazing. So as I talked about, I did dive into your book. I will eat up pretty much any book put in front of me, but especially one that has to do with parenting and pregnancy. So in the introduction to your book, you do talk about the information overload. And I absolutely fall into that myself. A lot of parents experience that today and how all the information out there can actually lead to confusion. I remember being a new parent and feeling like, what direction do I listen to? I'm hearing conflicting information. So what is your suggestion for parents to deal with all that overloaded information? So you're not the only parent to feel this way. Um, I, I speak to parents all the time, multiple times a day, and this is a theme that comes up again and again and again. And that's why I'm trying to change the dynamic because um, there is so much information overload out there. There was actually this very interesting study just came out earlier this year. Um, it was uh, specifically looking at parental confidence and information overload in the parenting space. And what they found, what the study found, was that parents who are less confident tend to search for more information online. And, and that makes sense, right? If we're, we're unsure about something, then we're going to try to seek the answers. Um, what the researchers also found was that all this online research that these less confident parents were doing, it actually doesn't lead to parents feeling more confident. So there's this this bad cycle that's happening, right? We, we're less confident, so we search for more information. The more information makes us feel more overwhelmed, more overloaded, so we feel less confident. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that becomes a problem because parents then say, you know, I'm just going to tune this stuff out because I, I don't know where to go. I have, I'm hearing this from one person. I'm seeing this from online. I'm, I'm, I'm overloaded with this information. Um, and now I don't have any of the information that I need, right? So the what this study, and it's sort of just reinforcing what we kind of already know, um, just from our own our own um, work online or what we do as parents, that sometimes or many times too much information isn't helpful. And when you have so much inf information overload, that sense of overwhelm almost becomes overpowering and mm -hmm. paralyzes us. So what I tend to tell parents is to pick two or three sources that we are going to, as parents, say, this is who I'm going to trust, and then I'm going to tune out the rest. So those sources can be, let's say, your pediatrician, right? That should probably always be one of the primary resources for you as a parent, because not only do they know a lot about the medical world, pediatrics, uh, and, and babies in general, children in general, they also know your child. And so that's a great source for you. Then choose one or two online sources um, and make sure that it's a trusted source. So let's say someone like me, where everything that I'm presenting is evidence-based. I um, do the research. I look at the, the studies. I speak to the experts and, um, and, and pick one or two, right? Choose, the, choose a book. Choose a, an online resource. And then maybe a parent that you are friendly with, that you like the way they're parenting, um, you like the way their kids are are sleeping or eating or behaving, a sibling, let's say your sister or your brother that you trust and that you know has done the research on their own. So once you've gathered that small little village for yourself, one or two or three um, trusted sources, then you can tune out the rest because it doesn't help 
to have 50 sources, to be hearing one thing from uh, one blog and another thing from something that you see on social media and a third thing that you see on TikTok and then a fourth thing that your great aunt tells you. <laughs> and, and then right then, all of a sudden, it's just this cacophony of noises. And then you're like, whoa, what do I do? So right. choose, choose your trusted sources. Um, and then always remember that you're the expert on your own parent, on your own baby. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that, especially the trusted sources, because I was I was going to be when you said that a follow up, like, how do you know trusted? And I really appreciate that you talked about evidence based. That's something that we really uh, pride ourselves in on our own information that we offer. But evidence based is really important. But it's so interesting that you also are in like another parent friend, not necessarily and maybe I misinterpreted this like a grandparent because I remember talking to my mom quite recently about parenting. And so my kids are nine and 12 and it is overwhelming. There is so much, so many directions. And she actually said, she's like, I don't feel like we had that same situation. I was, some of it could be social media, but she, she did not remember feeling as overwhelmed as she sees myself, and my husband, as we're juggling a thousand things. So why do you feel like parenting today is more overwhelming than in the past? Or maybe that's just my perception. No, you're totally right. And your mom is right too. Um, it is so much more overwhelming today to be a parent than it was 25 years ago or 50 years ago. And I do think that um, there's a few reasons for this. We we talked about this um, this overwhelming amount of information, right? 25 years ago, 50 years ago, there was no internet. So you couldn't read a blog and then 10 blogs. You couldn't Google something. You couldn't find all this information at your fingertips. There's wonderful things about the internet. Don't get me wrong. I spend most of my day on the internet. But um, but but they, parents 25 years ago didn't have that. And so they only had a few sources of information. So it mm-hmm. felt less overwhelming. I, I think, and, and you mentioned this, this is a huge thing that I talk about, uh, social media. And I'm not blasting social media. I, I have hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. I love the fact that there are so many positives to social media, especially for parents. I think that it, it helps to bring information to parents who may not be able to access information in other ways. And also, I think it creates some sort of uh, community or a sense for parents that they're not alone. And so there's wonderful things about social media. But there's lots of downsides to social media, too, which tend to create more of a sense of overwhelm for parents today. Social media often presents a very unrealistic view of, of parenthood. And so and, and it makes sense. Right. And I'm not knocking any one particular influencer, but take parenting, mommy influencers, daddy influencers. Um, you'll see their lives that they're curating for us, the ones who are watching. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at that and we're going to say, gosh, why is she who just had a baby three weeks ago fitting into her skinny jeans already? And I can barely close, you know, a, a, an elastic waistband over my belly. Why is that dad who has this gorgeously neat uh, uh, house in the background? Why, why is my house have toys strewn everywhere and his house looks completely organized? So there's this unrealistic view of parenthood out there. And and I know that there are some uh, places on social media that are presenting some of the unfiltered view of parenthood. But for the most part, we're getting this curated look at parenting and it um, leads to a sense of shame. Wow, I'm not good enough. I'm not as, as, as skinny as she is or as neat as he is or as proficient as they are in in helping their baby learn how to 
roll over or whatever it is. And, and we tend to say, what's, what am I doing wrong as a parent? And mm-hmm. that makes it very, very overwhelming. Um, and I think a third, right, we talked about too much information that leads to overwhelm, this, this social media um, phenomenon, which leads to the sense of overwhelm. And I think oh, something that goes hand in hand with both of those is this culture of comparison that we live in mm-hmm. today. And we're, we're always comparing ourselves to other people. 25 years ago, 50 years ago, when your mom was parenting you, the only other babies that she saw were maybe in the playground, maybe at a, a mommy and me play group situation, preschool, drop off, uh, whatever, you know, obviously in, within your own family, neighbors, that sort of thing, cousins. But that's a small circle of, of babies that as parents, you'd be able to compare your own child to or your own self as a parent to. Now we can see millions of babies out there. And so right on social media. And what happens is that we're seeing this beautifully curated view of a baby taking his first steps at 12 months. And gosh, my baby is still sitting and not even cruising at 12 months. What's wrong with my baby? What am I doing wrong? What do I need to do? How do I fix this? And, and you could pick any parenting topic, feeding, sleeping, et cetera, right? Why is this baby sleeping through the night and my baby is still sleeping in my arms? What's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Oh my gosh, I feel so overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm terrible at this, right? And it just continues to um, it, it explode in our minds and it, it helps, or it doesn't help, but it creates the sense of overwhelm, which I don't think that there was so much in the past. I was parenting my um, children, the, or my first few children before there was uh, social media. And so I see a difference with today's parents and what I was doing as a parent. And not to say that parenting wasn't always overwhelming. It is overwhelming. It is all consuming. But now we have all these added external pressures that makes it unfair for parents and makes it harder for parents. And it, it's actually why I wrote Bite Size Parenting, because Um, I wanted to make sure that parents um, were able to, or I was able to help reduce that sense of overwhelm for parents by focusing really on the essential information that new parents need in a format that's really highly digestible and Mm -hmm. actionable so that that parents don't have to dig through mountains of of information to find what they're looking for um, and, and to give them this sense of confidence, as I mentioned earlier, in a less overwhelming way. And I'm really excited for parents to get their hands on this book because I feel like it's a real game changer. I love what you talked about the comparison. I actually had a student yesterday in postnatal yoga mention something. I thought it was really funny. So we recently did, one of our podcasts was about postpartum and resenting one's partner and how to actually work as a team instead of resenting your partner. And when I was mentioning, I'm like, oh, this week's podcast is this. And she's, one of the students said, I was on social media, she said Instagram. I was on Instagram and I saw this really happy couple with their baby. And she's like, and I just threw my phone across the room. She's like, cause right now I hate my husband. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and so I see that comparison happening like in so many ways that can make one feel bad. But I want to go back to the overwhelm because my mom and I talked about this. And she was also saying that you kind of talked about choices too. She's like, we didn't have all the choices as much in baby stuff. She's like, you had, you know, the, oh, I forgot the name of the brand that was kind of popular back when I was a baby. She's like, that's what you went to. She's like, now there's pressure to make sure your child's excelling early and hitting their milestones early. And what's the best toy? And she didn't feel that 
and again, I'm date myself. This was the seventies and eighties, but she felt like it was less pressure. Do you feel like that's also part of the overwhelm of like, we have to raise these little baby Einsteins from, from conception? 100%. When your mom was raising you, there, there were very few or minimal products on the market for parents. And today there are thousands of products. And not only do you have this plethora of, of strollers to choose from and high chairs to choose from and car seats to choose from and, and diaper wipe warmers to choose from, there's also this pressure to get a diaper wipe warmer. And, and I can tell you with 100% certainty that you don't need a diaper <laughs> wipe warmer. Now, if you want to get one, that's fine. There's no, there's no problem. But the pressure that parents often feel to stock their homes with the diaper wipe warmer and the, the, the diaper cream spatula and, I mean, all these very extraneous products that some parents swear by, so this is not about judging, right? If, if you feel that the diaper wipe warmer changes the way your baby approaches diaper changes, all power to you. But do you need it? Does your baby need it? No. And so if you're choosing to, to get that or to buy into this marketing frenzy, um, that's fine, but recognize it for that and, and recognize that if you don't get a diaper wipe warmer or a bottle warmer or thousands of other products uh, on the market, that your baby will still be okay and you are still a good parent. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to separate ourselves, right? Because we want to do the best for our babies. We want to, as you said, you know, create baby Einsteins. And so we feel that if we do everything, we get every product, we follow all the quote unquote rules, whatever those rules are, that our baby will get into to the best college <laughs> out there. And, and it's not necessarily true. And it takes it takes a lot it's of It's exhausting effort. to think exactly. that way. It's, it's, yeah. Not only is it exhausting to think that way, it's also very hard, I think, to not think that way, to pull ourselves out of it. And so it's a challenge as parents to be able to say, I'm, I'm going to try really hard not to buy into the hype, not to buy into the marketing hype, because I, I don't need to fall into that because I, it's not going to make my baby smarter. It's not going to get my baby a, a better job one day. Yeah. And then it's funny because as a parent of four, you probably see this, the amount of research and effort I put into every toy my first child had to what I did with my second, I can imagine by the third and fourth, you're like, just don't play with sharp knives. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like they, they're not necessarily getting everything the same and they're still turning out, you know, I'd like to think pretty good. They're still turning out wonderful. And that's really a great lesson for us as parents. You know, my, my kids are seven years, seven and a half years apart from start to finish. So I had them pretty, pretty close in age. And um, I remember so much about my first child's babyhood and toddlerhood. I remember specific things because it was so, every decision was fraught with, oh my gosh, this is so important. And my fourth will ask me questions, um, you know, what was my childhood like? Do you remember this about me? And I have zero recollection. And <laughs> she'll say to me, but I'm the most recent, you know, I'm the one who, who should be most prominent in your, in your memory bank. And, and I don't remember because by the time you're up to your fourth, you realize that, that those, all those things that you thought so much about and worried so much about and, 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 you know, like perseverated over so much about don't really matter and, and your baby's going to turn out fine and they're going to still you know, do well in, in, in life, regardless of all the little um, worries that you have about this perfect toy or that perfect toy. Uh, you know, you're, you're, if you're a parent who's 
um, listening to this podcast, attending your classes, reading my book, it already means that you're an involved parent who wants the best for your child. And that alone, that love and that attention that you're giving to your baby alone will create um, a positive environment for your child and make your baby develop in wonderful and fabulous ways. I love that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to shift gears and start talking a little bit more about baby's first year, specifically some of the myths related to baby's first year that maybe we can myth bust. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, we are back. So what do you think some of the biggest myths related to the baby's first year that we should explore? There are so many myths that I love to debunk because I, I feel like we often spend so much time yearning for this child, um, hoping for a pregnancy or an, a surrogacy or an adoption. We we just are craving this child. And when they're born, all of our challenges are going to be behind us and the unicorns are going to fly and the butterflies are going to flutter in our faces as the rainbow shine. And it's all going to be wonderful. Um, and And it's not all going to be wonderful. And it's important that we recognize that as parents so that we don't feel bad about ourselves. So that, that sort of ties into one of the first big myths that I think gets perpetuated again and again, that, that we're going to enjoy every moment, every single minute as a parent. And the reality is, is that we won't. Mm -hmm. There will be wonderful moments where we're going to look, gaze into our babies, our newborn's eyes and, and say, wow, this is incredible. This is fabulous. Everything I've ever hoped and dreamed about. And then there's going to be times when um, we cannot even believe that we have this child. I, it, I have a um, bite-sized parenting. My book is an illustrated, it has illustrations in it. And I love the, the illustrations. They're very relatable. One of the illustrations is um, it's a mom of a, of a young baby, newborn, and she has her hair in a messy mom bun. She's standing over the changing table. The baby has a poop blowout. There is poop everywhere, the diaper up the baby's back and the baby's hair. Um, she's crying, the mom, the baby's crying, the mom is leaking from her boobs and um, because she's, you know, you know, breastfeeding. It's just, we've all been there. And um, it's, it's a moment that I feel just encapsulates so much of certainly the early months in, in a baby's life as a parent, because we're not going to be enjoying those moments. And if we could go into parenthood saying, I, I accept that not every minute of every day is going to be fun for me, is going to be a place of bliss, then we won't feel bad when we actually are there because it will happen that we're just not happy all the time and that we're mm -hmm. not enjoying every moment. So I think that's probably one of the biggest myths, but certainly one that I like 
to debunk. Um, another one I would say is that sometimes we have this impression that we're going to be able to handle it, to manage it all on our own. And I like to tell parents that there's no medal for doing it solo. And some of us are lucky enough to have partners in parenting. Some of us are lucky enough to be able to have hired help, to have a mom or a dad, a grandparent, a sibling, a neighbor, a friend help out. Um, and, and, and those of us who are solo parents should seek out that help when possible because it's really hard to do it all on your own. It is exhausting. You're not sleeping. You're barely eating yourself because you're focused so much on the baby's sleep and eating and diaper changing. And I really, um, it, it, it's so upsetting to me that there's this sometimes, um, I don't know what's a good word, worship of a super mom or super dad just doing it all, organizing the house, cleaning the house, working, parenting without extra help. And um, it's hard to do it all on our own. And so let, let's break that myth that says that we can just do it all by ourselves and still be functioning. Um, and part of that is another myth that it's that there's something wrong with us as parents if we need a break from our baby. Hmm. And I, I really like to get that myth out of the way because that just leads to the sense of guilt when we feel that uh, oh my god I, I just I need 10 minutes I need an hour I need a day away from my screaming crying colicky baby um, who's wonderful so many other times of the day but right now I just need a break and it's okay to feel that way because we do need some time to recharge so that we can bring our best selves back to our job as parents and um so let's drop the guilt about needing some time away from our parent, from our, from our baby when we're parenting. Um, I really love that. One. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not that many parents understand that certainly going in or even feel like it's okay to say, can I just have 10 minutes, right? That, that's a hard thing to say because we, there's this myth that just keeps on getting thrown around that everything is going to be wonderful and we're going to be so happy and it's going to be so great. And therefore, we want to be with our babies 24-7. And I think that's in pregnancy, too. I've seen this, especially for folks that have had a challenge getting pregnant or staying pregnant. And then they're also uncomfortable or just not happy about the experience. And they feel guilty. I want this baby. I've wanted this for so long, but I'm really hating this moment. And then they feel really badly about saying that. Exactly. And and it makes sense that they would feel that way, right? That we would feel that way, especially when we've worked so hard to become pregnant. And then to and, and in, in our in the back of our minds, we're like, we want this child. And of course, we all want our children. Um, but it's good to recognize that we're just humans and that we have breaking points as well. And that we're not going to be the best parent that we can be if we're at our breaking points. And we will all get there, right? I, I remember with my second child, um, literally standing over the bassinet or, or crouching over the bassinet, crying myself because she wouldn't stop crying. Like we will all get to that point. And, and parenting is wonderful. There are so many wonderful parts of parenting, but there are also so many difficulties and challenges parenting. And so we shouldn't feel bad when we recognize our own humanity and saying, I, I know that my baby is safe in the crib right now. And even though he's crying, I'm not going to rush in because I need to ground myself. I need to take five minutes for myself. Like, that's okay. Our babies will be okay. 
So that's like, a, I think, breaking that the, the chains of that myth can help free parents mm-hmm. a little bit to um, feel okay about some of the very natural feelings that they're going to have, that they're likely going to have when, mm-hmm. uh, when their parents, especially in those first, let's say, six months, which is really very challenging. Yeah, they really are. Okay, I'm going to keep on the idea of the first year because um, in your book, you do talk about milestones in the first year. And I know I definitely I had the Dr. Sears book and I looked each month at what the milestones would be. I Again, I actually had the book. I didn't go online because I felt like I'd go down a rabbit hole. And so I would thumb through and be like, okay, four months, we should do this. So can you discuss your perspective of milestones? Because I can imagine there's other very type A parents out there that were glued to a book or an app or something looking for these milestones. So from one type A parent to another, I certainly hear you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, I, milestones are very important. I, I talk about them um, in, in my book, Bite Size Parenting. The, the book is broken up by monthly chapters, one month, one chapter for every month in the first year. And so I certainly talk about all those milestones that your baby will be, maybe should be hitting every month um, or every few months. And um uh, and and to give parents the perspective on what they can be expecting uh, in their child's development. So milestones are very important. M- when we get too caught up in those milestones, uh, and, and it's sort of, we were talking about this earlier, about that culture of comparison. When we start looking at what other babies are doing compared to what our babies are doing, then then milestones can be very um, or tracking those milestones, or getting type A about those, being type A about those milestones can get very worrying and overwhelming for parents. Because why is that baby crawling and my baby just started sitting? Why is that baby rolling over and my baby won't move? Why is that uh, baby cruising and my baby still hasn't started to crawl? Why is that baby sleeping through the night and my baby isn't? Not that sleeping through the night is a milestone, but it's sort of part of the whole picture. Um, so we have to. Uh, take away some of those unrealistic expectations as we're comparing our children to other children to other children in our own family, because even within your own family, you're going to have your own children who are going to hit milestones at different times. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to remember, and I emphasize this so much um, on my Instagram account and Bite Size Parenting, it's so important to remember that every child is different. And not only that every child is different, but that the range of normal when it comes to milestones is vast. It is so wide. And so that means that when you see a baby, let, let's say, let's take the walking example. The average time, that uh, the average age for a child to take those first steps is around 12 months. What that means, though, is that there's a lot, a lot of babies who are taking those first steps well before 12 months. And it also means that there are a lot, a lot of babies who are taking those first steps well after the 12-month mark. And when you look at what the range for that particular milestone is, it's somewhere between 9 and and 15, maybe even 18 months. That's nine months of time where anywhere within that, that's seven to nine months, let's say, of time, that anywhere that your baby is starting to take his or her first steps in those seven to nine-month range is normal, is what we want to see. And so that means that it doesn't matter that your eldest child took his first steps at 10 months and your next child isn't taking her first steps until 15 months because both are normal. Both are within the range of what we want to see. And so when we get caught up in 
um, oh my gosh, this child is doing it earlier. Or why isn't my child doing this particular, or reaching this particular milestone yet, even though it says it in the book or it says it in the, uh, uh, on this blog, we start to get worried. So it's, it's helpful to remind ourselves every baby is different. Every baby is on their own individual developmental timeline. And as long as they're hitting these milestones within the wide range of normal, all is good. Now, if our child isn't hitting those milestones within that very wide range of normal, if we're starting to see those red flags of missed milestones again and again, if we have this nagging feeling that, yes, my child is hitting those milestones, but it's always on the very late end, those are all really important pieces of information that help us as parents bring these concerns, bring these um, awarenesses to the professionals, to the pediatrician for um, for, con- for or, or, or other professionals, physical therapists, nutritionists, or um, speech therapists, oral motor uh, therapists um, for consultation and perhaps for intervention. Because what we know is that early intervention makes a world of difference when it comes to allowing our children to hit the milestones, to reach their developmental potential, and to really progress developmentally um, as we want them to be. And so it is, so I would never sit here and tell any parent don't track milestones because it's so important to make sure that our kids are hitting milestones within those wide range of normal. But it's, I also will sit here and tell parents, make sure that you're not freaking out over those milestones, getting really nervous about those milestones, being type A about those milestones, because it doesn't matter when your baby hits them, as long as your baby is hitting them within the um, expected time, which will be very um, uh, a long span of time. I think that some parents forget, and I'm sure I fell into this, about the span of time. Like it's not four months they should be doing this and be like anywhere from three to six months. And I think when we see that range and can digest it, it can help. I mean, there's so many stressful things about the transition from not having kids to having kids that I think that's one of those things we can put aside. We can learn that's not as important. There's other things that we can put our attention to. So I really appreciate you bringing that attention to the range. All right. So let I, as always, I have lists of questions because I get very excited about these podcasts. So one, I wanted to talk about in your book, Bite Size Parenting, you talk a lot about empowering parents to feel confident, which you mentioned already. How do we as parents, how can we improve our confidence when we're always facing so many challenging situations? As we talked about, it's different than it was years ago. What are ways we can find our confidence in these new challenging situations? So I think the first step is exactly what you just said, right? Let's acknowledge that every situation, especially when it's your first child, is going to be new for you as a parent. And so acknowledging that and understanding that alone will give us solace as parents to say, you know, I, I'm this is a learning curve for me as well as my baby. My baby is learning how to roll over. I've never helped a baby learn to roll over if this is my first child. Um, But even if it's your second or subsequent child, you're still learning anew because each child is different. So so having that sense of uh, understanding can help us feel empowered and give us a little more confidence. Um, I I mentioned this earlier, but I want to repeat this because it's so important. Um, Feeling or recognizing that we need to trust ourselves as parents, um, reminding ourselves that we are the expert on our babies really, I think, is uh, brings us a sense of empowerment because, yes, we hear all this information from so many outside sources. Yes, we um, have chosen those those trusted sources, as we talked about earlier. But I'm the one who's with my baby all the time. 
or most of the time. And so I know what works or what will work, or I'm going to trust the choice that I make because I think this is what will work best for him or her. And it works best for my personality, my parenting philosophy, my way of um, running my, my own life, because that's what we have to do as parents, trust in ourselves and recognize that we're the experts on our baby. But also at the same time, a way that we can feel empowered is to acknowledge that it's okay that we're going to make mistakes. We shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes. We, we're experiencing growth as a parent as well. And so if we choose to do something some way and then it doesn't work out or doesn't feel right, it's okay. We could fix it. We can choose something else. And then that's how we grow as parents. And through that growth, we um, get to feel more empowered. And, and I think what's very empowering and what I talk a lot about in bite-sized parenting sort of between the lines is, is a recognition that, um, that there are a few absolutes in parenting. And when I say that, people sort of look at me puzzled. They're like, but, you know, you have all these recommendations and these strategies and, you know, in your book and, and on your Instagram posts. And I say, yes, there are lots of recommendations. Um, but for the most part, most things in parenting don't really matter. Now, let me let me explain what I what I mean by this. When it comes to safety and health issues, obviously we need to follow the the expert recommendations on that because those are really really rooted in the data and the science um, and and experience. So obviously, always put your baby in a car seat when you're driving with them in the car. Put them in a rear facing car seat because that's what the studies have shown to be the safest for your baby. Um, always make sure that your baby is. Um, sleeping on the back in an empty crib, no bumpers or pillows or blankets, no toys in there. Make sure that the mattress is firm and that the sheet is tight because we understand that that is the safest way for our babies to sleep in the first year. And we don't want to be going back to what, you know, we might have seen in uh, previous generations of babies sleeping in, in cribs with um, lots and lots of pillows and blankets and comforters, because we see, unfortunately, the data of um, how unsafe that was. So when we're talking about health and safety issues, of course, follow the recommendations, go to those well baby visits, and listen to what the pediatrician says when it comes to maintaining health for your child. But beyond those things, there really are no absolutes. There are so many paths in parenting, and all of them are good. Um, and we as a society, I feel, should be doing a better job letting parents know that most of the choices that they're going to be making as parents have no one right answer. And at the end of the day, your child will be fine no matter what choice you make. So it doesn't really matter if you choose to, uh, I don't know, uh, start feeding your baby solids using the uh, baby led weaning method, which is finger foods, um, you know, uh, exclusively at six months, or whether you choose to start with purees or whether, as I tend to recommend in it says parenting, to do both purees and finger food starting from the beginning. But any one of those three choices that you make, your baby is going to be fine. It, it doesn't matter what choice you make about how to help your baby establish healthy sleep habits and learn how to sleep. Um, hopefully, right, the, the goal is sleep through the night. It doesn't really matter how you go about doing that as long as you feel good about the way that you're going about doing it, because ultimately your baby will learn how to sleep eventually. Um, and so there are so many different ways to parent. And what's important about choosing which parenting path to, 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 to 
walk on, which recommendations or uh, strategies or pieces of advice to follow is to is to choose one that feels right for you. Because when you feel that you've made the right choice for yourself as a family, for you as a person and as a parent, for your child as a baby or toddler, that's how um, you end up feeling empowered, even as you're facing all these challenges day in and day out. Because if you have confidence in yourself because you've chosen what feels right for you, then that's what's ultimately going to be best for your baby. I appreciate that. I do. Because I think, again, that takes some of the pressure off of all the decision-making and the decision fatigue that comes with being a parent. I really appreciate that. All right, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? We will be right back. So we're back. So I'm very curious to see if you're going to answer this from (laughs) raising four kids or from your uh, parenting expert or maybe a little combo of which hat you're going to put on. So what is one final tip of piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? So I think I'm going to do it with both my expert hat and my parent hat because they sort of intertwine and interconnect. Um, I I think one of the most important pieces of of, uh, wisdom, let's say, and then I'll give the actual advice, is, is that there's no such thing as a perfect parent. And we've talked a lot about this um, today. We're, we're on this learning curve. Every day we're learning, not only about ourselves as parents, but also um, how you're parenting this particular child that you have in front of you. Um, every child is different and even within the same family, right? So we get to adapt ourselves as parents to each to match the need of each particular child. Um, and if we are always open to learning, Um, then, as I said before, we can make the right choices as parents, um, which then makes us the best uh, parent for this particular child. But we will never be a perfect parent because there is no such thing as a perfect parent. So if if we are able to like really, really internalize that, there is no such thing as a perfect parent. Um, Let's just um, embrace that idea. And, and, and so that's the notion that I want to start with. And then the actual piece of actionable advice is to take a deep breath um, and look at the big picture, take a step back. Things that seem monumental, momentous in the moment usually aren't. And when we're able to take a step back, then we're able to get some perspective. And so I'll give an example. If, if we're, let's say, feeding our eight-month-old and um, he's not particularly interested in the lunch that we've given him. And we get really upset, but here's the food. If you don't eat it, oh my gosh, you're going to starve. Like you have to eat. You didn't eat such a great breakfast, right? We get very caught up in that. It's understandable, right? We want to make sure that our child is is getting fed, is is getting the nutrients that, that he or she needs. But what I like to remind parents is let's take a step back and look at the big picture. What is the big picture? Well, if you look at what your baby has eaten this entire day, or even let's go even bigger. If you look at what your baby will eat or has eaten this entire week, you will see that your baby isn't starving because your baby isn't a robot. And so just like we one day aren't going to be so hungry for lunch and we're going to eat a little less or more than another day, your, your child is like that too. Your child is not going to have a full, wonderful meal each time necessarily at, at each sitting necessarily. But when we take that step back and we look at the week, the week's worth of nutrition and in, intake, we will see our baby's really getting enough to eat. Mm-hmm. And so that that removal from the the in the moment 
um, nerves that we feel like, oh my God, is my baby going to be starving if, if he doesn't finish these, these pieces of broccoli that I've set out for him? No, your baby won't starve. And your baby won't even starve if he doesn't eat anything at dinner either or only eats three bites. When we look at the big picture, we understand, you know what? It's all going to be okay. It's hard right now. It doesn't make sense right now. It feels pretty big right now. But big picture, um, everything's going to just turn out fine. Thank you. Where can people find your work? So I am um, everywhere that uh, books are sold. If you're looking for my book, Bite Size Parenting, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, uh, online, uh, in stores. I am on um, Instagram. You could find me at Sharon Maisel. And also I have a website, SharonMaisel.com, where you can find my courses, my e-guides. You could schedule coaching with me. I love doing one-on-one coaching with parents because then I get to tailor the strategies and advice specifically for um, that parent and that child. And, um, and I look forward to spending more and more time with more and more parents. Thank you, Sharon. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think the biggest takeaway is going to be about letting go of the stress a little bit, about loosening our grip and allowing things to unfold a little more organically and trusting ourselves. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I do hope that we all are able to take a deep breath every day at the end of the day um, with our little, little ones so that we do feel a little less stressed and overwhelmed. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.